Hello, and welcome to Acamedia's podcast series, Talking Television in a Time of Crisis. I'm Christine Becker, Associate Professor of Film, Television, and Theater at the University of Notre Dame, and I will be moderating and participating in this episode, which is the series finale. We're very grateful to be a part of the Acamedia podcast, sponsored by the Society for Cinema and Media Studies. The Talking Television podcast series started last summer by exploring television's role in mediating twin pandemics of COVID-19 and anti-Black violence. It included episodes on politics, tactics, economics, optics, aesthetics, publics, ethics, and academics. This final conversation features commentary from the three co-organizers of this podcast series, and we'll be reflecting on the series and the state of television in this time of crisis. So let me introduce this podcast's creators and bring them from uh, eavesdropping in the background of episodes to here in the foreground of this episode. First up, Hunter Hargraves, Associate Professor of Cinema and Television Arts at California State University, Fullerton. Thanks so much. We have Lynn Joyrich, Professor of Modern Culture and Media at Brown University. Welcome back, Lynn. Thank you. And finally, Brandy Monk-Payton, Assistant Professor of Communication and Media Studies at Fordham University. Good to be here with you all. All right. So we're going to kick it off here by uh, reflecting on the last 16 months. We started, or you all approached me in April about this podcast series. And the first episode came out last May. And of course, I mean of 2020. And it's incredible to think back on how much has happened since that first podcast. And I'm sure you had, you know, you knew crisis was happening, but you had no idea what was coming from COVID to Black Lives Matter uprisings. And I'll also point out then again that this, you know, we started this in in April and May. Um, And then of course, the presidential election and January 6th. So let's start there, thinking back on these these 16 months and going back to the beginning uh, and the idea to start a podcast. So why a podcast about television to help make sense of these intense events and using a form that isn't visual to talk about television? Let me start with, with your first just remark about how we approached you. And I do want to say right up front, thank you so much. None of this Hooray. would have been possible. Yeah, without Christine Becker and the people at Acamedia who really made this possible. So just to give my perspective, but I'm sure that Brandy and Hunter can say more. I mean, it did really start with the idea of watching television in a pandemic, right? And that we wanted to talk about. I had written a piece called Watching Television in a Pandemic. So our initial thoughts really were about TV and COVID. And in that piece, one of the things that I was trying to get at is the way that television itself has always been located at the intersection of sort of the public and the private, the domestic and the social, right? We watch in our own private spaces, whether that's a set in the living room or holding our cell phone, but it connects us to the world, right? And then here we had COVID come where we were all told, oh, you should all be in your private spaces to protect the public. Right. And that by kind of retreating, you were actually doing a public service. So there was an interesting way in which it mirrored television. Television was sort of in a way kind of a model for being together while apart. Of course, television itself does that for commercial purposes. Right. And part of its profit motive. So obviously the public health message about doing this for affective economy, a public health economy, as opposed to an economic one, was very, very different. But that kind of led us to talking about it. Brandy Hunter and I already, in a way, were a TV public. We would, in the privacy of our own homes, get together and watch TV together virtually and talk about it. 
And we were talking more and more about TV and COVID, and we thought, oh, we should extend this to the TV community more broadly of, you know, other critics, makers, just viewers interested in thinking about it. So it sort of started that way. But of course, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this as, as we go on, you know, as you said, Chris, it was then crisis after crisis. So it wasn't just COVID. There was, you know, increasing racial violence, efforts, uh, important efforts for racial justice. And those really intersected with the pandemic in key ways that really brought to light, you know, who had certain privileges, including health privileges in this country, who was more vulnerable, et cetera. And then, as you said, then, you know, the, the election comes up and, you know, potential coup from Donald Trump. And so it was, they all in a way were, were interrelated, the tensions of all of them. And of course, TV was at the heart of all of them, the way, of, you know, that leading the, the way people thought about it or failed to think clearly about it. So we definitely felt like it was important to talk about television. For me, uh, echoing sort of Lynn's comments about how the pandemic, especially in March and April, really got us thinking about how new TV watching publics were sort of happening. And this sort of maybe emphasis on on finding out how all of your friends and colleagues were watching television, like what they were watching, in what state they were watching, and thinking about some of the, mate- the, the, some, the some of the effects of the ambiance and atmosphere of spectatorship that was being sort of generated by then. For me personally, though, I, I would just sort of say I, I was really missing academic community um, in those early months of the pandemic, um, ha, you know, finding out that SCMS is being canceled and that every fun <laughs> conference or research trip that was going to be happening that summer was canceled. And, you know, not all of us in television studies are on the same social media platforms or engage in those dialogues. Um, and for me, you know, the idea of, of a podcast that would bring together different voices was a way of uh, yeah supplementing that that notion of exchange and and sort of yeah academic community as we were in still in you know very much in a period of uncertainty about what would what would happen when we would all be able to see and talk to each other again. Yeah, and I think that in addition to what Hunter just said, we were also at the beginning of our Zoom journey and being inundated with screens. And so one reason I think we gravitated towards the podcast format um, and to have this sort of idea around listening and, and sort of talking about television removed from the visual is because we were so tired of, of screens. Um, and so It also helped the flexibility, I think, of a podcast um, and bringing together multiple scholars across, you know, different time zones, different countries. We were able to do this work in a way that was attentive to the uncertainty and unpredictability of the situation uh, versus, you know, perhaps doing a special issue of a journal, right? Um, I think we were all also very tired of writing and we wanted another way to engage and encounter um, one another. And this provided a really great um, space for that. Yeah, I, I would add to, you know, I think that we were at that point, you know, both hungry for connection and community. But again, as Brandy said, I think people were overwhelmed with screens. 
we wanted something, I think, quite immediate, more immediate than, than writing or doing a special issue. And one that really could involve a lot of people, not just, you know, 10 people or something that a special issue would be. Uh, because again, we really wanted community. So a podcast, you know, in some ways practically was a perfect solution. It was interesting as we went on the way that the podcast, I think, raised kind of fascinating conceptual issues because it is sort of interesting to use a form of the podcast to talk about television, right? Television literally like remote vision. And we were cutting in a way the vision part. So in a way there was like an interesting kind of contradiction, but I think it let people reflect on it. Similarly, we were called talking television, but of course we did more than just television Right. We, we did, of course, television, but a lot of the people we had on also work in radio, film, new digital media, social media. And we did it across the podcast talk about the connections between those things. So both the importance of kind of thinking specifically maybe about TV, but also thinking about the convergences, the connections and doing that in a podcast, you know, again, immediately created that media connection across things. So I I think the podcast was interesting. One effect of it, though, and then I'll just say this quickly and stop, is that it it does, I mean, any form of production, of course, has hidden labor. The podcast itself has, in a way, literally hidden labor because you don't see people. So I think that, in a way, you know, Brandy and Hunter and I uh, hosted the first episodes but then after that, we really wanted to open up to more voices and more people. So we would invite, you know, five to six people each episode and invite one of them to be the host or moderator. And we were always there. The three of us, in fact, the four of us, Chris, also you, were always there for every single episode. Hunter, Brandy, and I would, would write a loose script for each episode, just, you know, with the questions, et cetera, et cetera. Then, of course, people took it off on their own. But there was a funny way in which I think it seemed like the three of us or the four of us kind of disappeared in the middle. But we, in fact, were always there. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful way to kind of see people make community, work with people and open up things for, you know, we hope multiple voices, which, again, we can talk more about. Well, I think another way of thinking of that notion of, in addition to talking about, you all were talking to or the group was talking to and thinking of that notion of the audience and this being a public format. And certainly, I'm sure most of our listeners were were academics, but this podcast operated as public discourse. I wonder if anyone has any thoughts about that, about publicness being a, you know, particularly important for discussing TV in this time of crisis. I mean, I think we're starting to see the podcast form take on a really important sort of paratextual role in a lot of television criticism, not just those that are sort of sponsored by producers or or studios or networks themselves, um, but also those that are put on by the fans and, and sort of harness fan labor sort of accordingly. And, you know, in a lot of those podcasts, you get a lot of speculation, right? Like, what's going to happen next? How are fans reacting to what's going on in a particular program? And this became its own interesting, I would say, sort of paratext, insofar as a lot of the participants were engaging in sort of speculation about how this might change the field, how this might change our own Um, ways of doing research, our own ways of thinking about spectatorship, our own ways of relating to different audiences and publics. 
So I, I found it very interesting how in the process of doing this, there became almost a kind like it, it really did feel like we were generating this kind of interesting paratextual beast that was both live-ish and not live-ish, responding to what's going on in the present, doing a lot of speculation about what might happen, especially given uh, the way that the pandemic really scrambled everyone's sense of time and really, I think, you know, the days starting to bleed together, all of that. I think that the publicness that you asked about, Chris, is so important because, again, from the beginning of TV, even before TV, with other media, for all, you know, going back to cave writing, right, media are so crucial to the creation of a sense of the public. And I think that TV, you know, especially has always kind of marketed itself as public service or it's speaking to you for what you want, what we want to hear but of course, as I said before, its construction of public is totally wrapped up in the profit motive, right? So I think it was important for us to try to think about how we could create our own publics that, again, in some ways resonate with TV's idea of being together even while apart, but are is a different kind of public than a profit motive public, a public that's, you know an intellectual and critical public. And it is interesting that in today's world, of course, we have such a kind of media savvy world now so that I do think our audience, because we're sponsored by SCMS, is largely academic, but not fully. I think we live in a world where there's so many people interested in just chatting about TV and thinking about it. And especially during the last year when people were stuck at home in the pandemic and one of the few things they could do was watch TV. And then Again, with all of these political events being brought to us through screens, people were really wanted to, felt the need to talk about what did it mean to live in a screen culture. So, you know, I, I think our attempt to deal with that in, in a, a way that, again, connected to TV publics, but was a different kind of public was important. Yeah, and I think that we, in this moment where we're in the age of social media and we see this collapse of the critic and scholar and fan, we were able to kind of intervene in that discourse um, and that sort of impulse towards the hot take. And as Hunter was saying, also to be able to speculate in a way that was imaginative and and playful um, with this kind of community of, of academics, really creating an archive of a historical moment, right? And every every episode, I took a picture of us and, you know, I, I now have them and we have this kind of beautiful collective of this particular moment that I think is really um, inspiring and will be important to have for the future, both for, for pedagogical purposes, um, but also, I think, as a, as a kind of time capsule of how we were grappling with various crises. Well, and you're going to have to make a tapestry of them all. Then. Yes. Put them all in one. <laughs> them all. Well, and you're also describing something that is going back to a point that was made previously, but that's somewhat unusual for academia, which is making observations in the moment, right? We're used to, especially oftentimes we want to have distance. We want something to be over so then we can look back on it and use our tools and lenses to make sense of it. So capturing what people were thinking in the moment. I think that's one of the most powerful takeaways I have from that. Um, and in addition to the public, we have also the flip side of the private then. And we got a lot of insights from our guests about their private viewing. So I wonder if you um, have any thoughts about that, the kind of insights that this kind of auto ethnography ended up generating through the podcast. It's interesting because I think that 
Lynn Hunter and I have talked about this, the fact that we were talking about TV, but not about specific shows necessarily, or the fact that there was a way in which our our TV consumption increased, perhaps, um, or not, right? I think one of the issues that emerged throughout the pandemic were those different privileges that we might have had even as academics um, in terms of our own kind of time and caretaking and whatnot. Um, but certainly one thing that kept coming up was the idea of television as comfort, right? Um, and certainly I fell into those rhythms of, of, of watching television in order to anchor me at a really sort of chaotic time. So I think throughout each episode, you know, certain programs uh, came up and there were ways in which we were both talking about the program, but not really, right? Talking about how it made us feel. Uh, and so the question of affect was always a part of this sort of autoethnographical framework that we were uh, that we were generating. Yeah. I mean, that is, I think, such an interesting issue within television studies itself, right? Because I do think, again, television addresses us in a personal capacity often, right? It literally in the way that, you know, the, how we see how the rhetorical statements from I to you or we, et cetera. So it addresses us, you know, and tries to captivate us in affective ways. And yet that seems to be sort of a fraught thing or has historically been a fraught thing in TV studies in a way that it really hasn't in other fields. Right. So people kind of I mean, it, it, I think it took from the beginning of, you know, from a historical view, from the beginning of TV studies, there was much more of a sense that you had to kind of be distant. You had to be critical. You couldn't admit that you liked it in a way that was so different from other fields. I mean, it's yeah. just assumed that people in literary studies actually like reading literature or they wouldn't be in that field or that people in film studies are cinephiles, whereas there was a sense that if you like TV, if you found it comforting, you know, you were not distanced enough. In a way, I think it ties into the very ambivalences about closeness distance that TV has. Now, since then, of course, there was a whole move that people started to kind of think about themselves as, as Henry Jenkins put it, as ACA fans, right? That we could both be academic and fans, in fact, that that allowed you to think certain things that you wouldn't have thought otherwise. So there is, I think, for now many, many years, an attempt for people to think about their own pleasures and pains, their comforts and their discomforts with TV. But that did come out in, in a kind of interesting way. I also think our podcast tried very hard to really bring up issues of sort of social formations, formations of gender, of sexuality, of race. And again, in those, there's always a sense like, oh, well, if you're speaking from your position as blank, like you're not being quote unquote objective. So I think in terms of thinking about issues of race, gender, sexuality, sometimes some of that work, again, historically had been dismissed for being too much about the self. So I think thinking about the issue of autoethnography and how do we place ourselves in relation to our work and how does ourselves, you know, our own positions impact what we think about and how we think about it is crucial to thinking about those political formations that we really wanted to bring to the fore. I think also we've, you know, over the last 10 years, television has changed dramatically with the introduction of streaming platforms and, you know, certainly uh, the changes to television in terms of affect and representation that we saw, especially during the initial years of the Trump administration. And 
So even before the pandemic, the, I feel like there was uh, there has been a lot of critical effort in dissecting these new modes of spectatorship, right? Like what exactly does Netflix and chill do to how we think about the sort of the viewing contract between a, a show and a audience member? And so I think a lot of us have been sort of maybe privileging those questions of affect in a way and sort of thinking about the environment of spectatorship. In, in bringing a lot of that exciting, uh, some of those exciting thoughts to uh, television studies. And the pandemic amplified all of that, right? Like, and really scrambled with how we were thinking about, you know, television, not just at, in terms of its dichotomies, as Lynn was pointing out, of like comfort or discomfort or watching to escape reality versus watching to be informed about what's going on, but also really thinking about what kinds of what kinds of viewing experiences we wanted. So I remember Lisa Parks, for example, in, in one of the episodes, uh, I, I think it was on technology, you know, saying that she was just staring blank at, uh, uh, or staring at a blank wall for like yeah. a while, right? Like as a way to sort of not look at a screen, right? And, and thinking about how some of those moments and some of those um, admissions, right? Like, oh, I'm not watching television. I would rather stare at a blank wall today. Um, also tell us a lot about how spectators have changed throughout the pandemic. Staring at a wall or, or going out and, you know, being on the ground at protests, right? We had a few people who were talking about their experiences uh, with the Black Lives Matter global protests, um, you know, around the world. And I think that there was also that impulse perhaps to, you know, move away from the screen, move, move off the couch and, and sort of get in the streets. Yeah, I didn't watch much television uh, in June 2020. Mm-hmm like at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really difficult for some. Yeah. There was a lot of interesting discussion across the podcast as in TV studies in general about what quote unquote watching television even means, right? Does it mean, you know, literally watching on a television set, all of these intersecting things, even going on the streets, but then wanting to go home and see whether that purchase was covered on the news, right? <laughs> so we did have conversations, you know, about the very notion of, of what watching television is. And, you know, to the point about uh, that, Brandy, you mentioned earlier about sort of talking about shared text versus not talking about the shows themselves and focusing more on this uh, atmosphere of spectatorship. It got me thinking a lot about, too, how we were sort of organizing um, each of the episodes around a kind of conceptual rubric rather than being all like, okay, like let's do an episode on Tiger King. Um, because even though many of us watched Tiger King in, in March and early April, a, a lot of people were like, no, thank you. And it, 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 it felt more organic to sort of focus more on some of the uh, conceptual frameworks that we, that we were sort of wanting to engage with rather than specific programs or genres or something like that. That being yeah. said, I thought I found it really interesting how how a couple of our participants were sort of saying like because they had more time to watch television, they were almost a more focused viewer. So um, Sarah Benet Weiser made a comment in one of the episodes about how she was reinvigorated with the with sort of practices of close reading because she was watching tele she was watching you know shows that were coming out during the pandemic and finding herself to be a, not necessarily a more attentive viewer, but one for whom now all of a sudden, like practices of close reading were on her mind, right? And, and that I think became the sort of interesting like dichotomy of, again, speaking to this atmosphere of spectatorship. 
how distracted are we in this time of crisis? How immersed are we in this time of crisis, right? Just to follow up on some of the, the stuff that Hunter was saying, I think, you know, Hunter was talking about how the question of affect came up a lot, but obviously for us too, the question of the sort of logics of television, the way in which we think through it came up a lot also. And we did, as Hunter said, we really wanted to organize the episodes, not so much by a kind of content, whether it was, you know, we didn't want episodes on particular shows. We also didn't want to do it by like, here's an episode on TV in the pandemic. Here's an episode on TV and racial violence. Here's an episode on TV in the election. Because we wanted to do it more in terms of what are the larger sort of conceptual categories that we can think through to think about all those things together, how they sort of intersect in these formations. So that's why we came up with those sort of ologies or G's in, in the first ones, the epistemology, the, you know, those kinds of things. And then the X, the, the logics, optics, et cetera, in the second one. I think that that allowed us to, to sort of get at things. But it is true that then it, it meant that, you know, there was a I, specific programs would come up. But just as often, the discussions sort of were a little different than just about specific programs. Well, and then the other benefit of that was getting a collection of people together who might not all have the same perspective or be coming from the same place. And so having... I can remember like politics or ethics episode, having a documentary filmmaker on. And so um, I wonder if you could speak then to the selection process. Uh, you, The podcast ended up featuring over 60 TV uh, scholars, media scholars, critics, producers. So what were you aiming for in inviting those participants? And what went behind inviting particular people? Well, one thing I would say is we wanted, we really wanted a varied mix of people. We really wanted to have, you know, people who do different kinds of media studies in different locations, you know, regionally, globally even, although I think we could have done more with global, you know, people that really come from different kinds of communities. And importantly, we really wanted a mix of senior people and junior people. We wanted to kind of both show, okay, here, you know, these are people who have been long involved in TV. Here are some brand new ideas. So we were thinking in terms of a variety, you know, nuts and bolts. I mean, we kind of came up with the topics first and then tried to think of different interesting, you know, who was working on various topics. But I have to say we had over, like you said, over 60 people. They were amazing. They were a huge range of people and they were all fabulous. But there are so many wonderful people in film and media studies. I mean, if we ever come back for another season, I mean, there's 60 more wonderful people that we would love to invite. There's so many people that we talked about that we just admire so much, but we just couldn't invite every, you know, we couldn't have everybody, but we tried to get as many as possible. And again, if we, if we come back for more, we'll get even more people because I do think that our field is full of fabulous people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with that mix of, of people, every episode had a very different flavor, right? Based on the personalities that were present. And so I think that was also a really fascinating thing to sort of uh, experience and the, the ways in which different participants, you know, gelled with each other, even though they may not have met before. Um, and so we really created this broad network uh, by which to engage these very um, topics, which I thought was really interesting but if we haven't invited you yet we still might because the, yes. the network is even broader I mean again it was it was it's a very hard question to answer because there were just so many amazing names 
just in our field. And it, and even though we had a lot of people that we also couldn't get tons of people that we wanted to. So, you know, hopefully there's ways in which the network had started can kind of continue and, you know, recognize yeah. even more people out there. Well, and then also a topic. So Lynn, you mentioned you wish you, you know, we could have done a little bit more with the global perspective. So is there anything you wish were covered further in the series or, you know, when you're pitching a series and they're always like, all right, well, what does season five look like? So what is season three of Talking TV? And of course, we don't know what crises are ahead. There's a few we can guess where they might be going, climate change, whatever. But any anything you feel like was left to the side that you would love to bring back in a, in a future series? Well, now that you mention it, yes, climate change, uh, would def- it, media and the environment would be really interesting. Um, we didn't do an episode on history, so like the historic, and I think that bringing on, you know, television historians that could provide some kind of context, you know, around the the sort of patterns, right, um, that we sort of see in this current television moment, uh, and how television engages with the past uh, would be really cool. I mean, we had television historians mixed into the others. We had a lot of things mixed into others, but not its own topic. So, I agree. One that would have been on his television history or historiography, I think would be really interesting. Again, media ecologies, like, you know, we were saying, I think, you know, making it more global, more international would have been important. I mean, television and media are the air that we breathe now. They're part of our everyday life. So everything in everyday life is, is tied to mediation. So there's so many potential other things to to talk about. I'd be curious, and this I think also relates back to sort of the question of autoethnography, right? About consumption as a general topic, how the pandemic and uh, other events in crisis how they've steered some of us, and I'll speak in the first person here, like, I think I'm watching less television, actually, than I was like a year ago, in part because of this sort of desire to resume, quote unquote, normal life. And having new social networks open again has helped, uh, you know, has taken up more leisure time than maybe a a year ago. Um, But also kind of speaking to what Brandy was saying uh, earlier on, this idea of sort of screen fatigue and to think about, again, again, a lot of this ties into some of the affects of, of comfort or boredom that we were talking about earlier. But yeah, this general idea of whether or not we are watching more television now, just especially because of the ways that, as Lynn, you were sort of gesturing to, like everything is so mediated and everything is now television, right? Zoom is TV, Instagram is TV, like... Uh, TikTok is TV, TV. right? um, But also how, you know, what does that then say about our normal, quote unquote, viewing practices? And how how does that register of normal shift now that we're entering this kind of quasi post-pandemic, quasi still uncertain about it uh, age? Well, in, in a couple of you have mentioned some memorable moments. So I wondered if anyone had any other memorable moments to add, most telling moments, most significant moments, um, anything you want to point to, like highlights of, of the seasons? There was, I mean, it was interesting when people would bring up specifically what they watched and how they felt about it. That, again, was often very telling, whether it was current things that were getting attention or whether people going back to things that, from their childhood, etc. But equally, I thought telling was when people would talk about things that they weren't watching 
right? So that there were a number of cases where, where people would bring up, you know, and, and talk about something and say, well, I don't actually watch this show, but blank, blank, blank. And it was interesting for, again, thinking about the way in which the televisual just surrounds us, whether or not we watch that specific show. So that sort of, again, relationship to watching, not watching, but the way it's still part of our lives, even if we don't watch it, was sort of fascinating. That appearing, disappearing act of TV, I think, is very telling. Brandy and Hunter, what do you think? What what things stood out for you guys? Um, the the Colonel Sanders spoof <laughs> that got a lot of laughs. <laughs> so I forget, that's the economics episode, right? So I think that there was actually this interesting way in which there were some shows that were mentioned that were only made manifest by virtue of the pandemic, right? Um, so I think there was a show called Connecting. There's literally a show about grappling with um, staying connected during the public health crisis and other shows or um, live variety programs, right, um, that were, again, by virtue of the pandemic being made um, in kind of unique ways. Uh, but yeah, Colonel Sanders, <laughs> um, that little spoof of a Lifetime movie is something that stands out. I was sort of haunted by, a, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, about a sort of exchange um, between Lori Ouellette and Herman Gray in one of uh, the sort of the first episodes, in which they're sort of talking about how you have not just uh, misinformation coming out on certain cable networks like Fox News, but also how you have these kinds of celebrity doctors like Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz offering now all of a sudden like advice on infectious diseases, which is not, you know, their specialty. And thinking about, you know, how many of us in television studies have this sort of instinctual desire to defend the medium against how it, it becomes sort of delegitimated as a, a, as a platform of knowledge. And how in the wake of that, you had a number of scholars uh, like Laurie and Herman, who have been doing that kind of great work for, for years, sort of saying like, wait a second, like what do we do now with ideological critique? Especially since uh, Trump in many of his press conferences and certainly the histronics of Fox News all still feed into this sort of idea of television as a feminized kind of medium in terms of its mode of address. Um, and so thinking about some of those tensions, like do we always want to be staunch defenders of this kind of production of knowledge? Or in what ways do we as television scholars have to start maybe parsing uh, its mode of address, its temporality, and to think about the ways in which we hold on to that to TV as like an object, uh, a kind of democratized object in which, you know, everyone can sort of access it. Everyone can kind of participate in it, regardless of these kinds of other hierarchies of, of knowledge and value. And putting those two comments together, I think this is another great benefit of the podcast that, again, we don't often get. And that's anything from the ephemeral. So the idea of like this, you know, Colonel Sanders weird romance thing is a kind of thing that'll pass and disappear. And we've got now a an <laughs> archive of academics trying to make sense of, you know, mostly making fun of it, but just kind of fitting this in with, you know, within this larger context of everything that's happened. And then we've got what Hunter points to, which is two of our most important media scholars reflecting on a crisis moment in how we make sense of all this around us. So I think this may be a good final question to, to ask all of you. Um, what do you think the podcast did reveal about the state of media studies, the importance of media studies and TV studies, and then any thoughts about where this points toward the, the future of TV studies or even the, the future of TV? 
Tough question. Easy softball question <laughs> for the end here. I mean, I, uh, reiterating a little bit of what I said before, I do think it really brought to the fore the way that we live in a fully, I would argue, televisual world. Even things that are not, quote unquote, TV in the classic legacy sense are so tied to televisuality now so that it really, I mean, my own work is very much about the way that we think through televisuality, right? That it's literally a kind of mode of thinking for us now. And I think that that came through even in in talking about things. And even again, when people were talking about what they don't watch, how it's, it's just the air that we breathe. But then it also really, the way that that is absolutely inseparable from political formations now and the politics of the everyday and the way we we live our life is absolutely crucial and you know again to thinking about tv in a time of crisis i mean tv always in a way for its own operations has to be constantly both creating crises whether they're like narrative crises or you know political crises to keep us watching keep us watching but also quote-unquote solving crises to kind of you know, help settle us. So it's, it's again, both this kind of crisis machine and crisis solving machine. So I think that, that thinking through that and how, for me, that's a big question going forward in TV studies. How do we engage with that without, you know, with ourselves always being alert to what's happening, but not participating in that same logic of endless, like production of crises and panic. Oh no, it's okay. And you know what I mean? How do how do we think about that without replicating it in a way is for me a question. I think for me, uh, summer 2020 was really a turning point with regards to racial politics and specifically anti-Black violence that television took notice in a way that it had not before. And so I'm really interested in what happens next. Um, industrially, uh, but also in terms of aesthetics, in terms of politics, in terms of how television understands itself as the medium by which to address and redress racial violence um, in its immediacy, independent of, you know, what film could do, perhaps, or even what social media um, can do. And so I'm interested in those optics, which was one of our episodes, and also the tactics by which television will sort of do this work and fail in my mind, it will inevitably fail, but I'm interested in the in the the leaps that it makes um, to legitimate itself as a medium that is invested in thinking about a different kind of future with regards to issues concerning uh, race. I think along with that, I'm interested in the moments of rupture, disruption, uh, various kinds of independent media that can be created and generated in in this moment. And thinking, again, this came up in one of the episodes, um, this idea around catharsis and, you know, healing. And I think that we're going to need a, a moment after these crises, if we can even think of them, you know, in, in, in this way, um, where we have to mourn, right? And I wonder how television is going to help us do that work. I've been thinking about how this is all going to shake out within our our discipline and our and and even maybe on a certainly on a more personal level like how this is going to affect my own ways of going about my research and because television has become so hyper fragmented over especially over the last uh, decade but of course continuing what's been going on with narrow casting since 
uh, the 80s and perhaps even before that. It sometimes feels like television studies itself as a field has reflected a lot of that fragmentation and people are now focused on specific genres or specific methodologies, industry studies versus, you know, um, taking on more sort of textual analysis or something like that. And what was really great about the podcast series for, for me was sort of watching a lot of these perspectives come together and watching people also kind of say like, oh yeah, like what maybe we need to have a little bit more uh, promiscuous kind of methodology where we're sort of bringing together different ways of reading television, not just the show itself, but also the environment in which we're in. Or, And, you know, I think that to me will be a sort of exciting uh, thing to notice and observe as we press forward is, is maybe in our research patterns, we are now thinking a little bit more big picture or thinking a little bit about sort of how we might weave together these different uh, traditions, these different ways of experiencing televisuality that is constantly surrounding us in kind of very exciting ways. And that, so that's what I'm um, looking forward to most, uh, at least from the discipline as we uh, move forward. Yeah, and also with that, I mean, collaboration, right? I'm really interested in seeing the different ways that we can collaborate moving forward, um, whether it be inside or outside of the academy. And I look forward to seeing what all of our listeners out there then uh, take up with this this call that Talking TV in a Time of Crisis has basically handed to you all. Um, and thank you so much to Lynn Joyrich, Brandy Monk-Payton, and Hunter Hargraves for organizing this. Any farewell thoughts for now? Any final thoughts about the, the experience? Just I would again say thank you so much, Chris, thank for you, all Chris. your work. And thanks to your whole team at Acamedia. Bill Kirkpatrick and Todd Thompson. So thank you, you know, to the whole Acomedia group. Thank you to all of our participants who were all so interesting. It was so great to have you. Thanks to all of the listeners. It just, it, it was, it was a really, I think, wonderful experience for us, the, the organizers. And hopefully people also found it a good experience for them. Yeah, big shout out to all of you who, who listened to the series beginning to end. Um, it's very cliche maybe to say like, oh, pandemic happened and we started a podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was really sort of gratifying to hear uh, many of you chime in that this was a, a great way to keep in touch with people and to feel like something was happening uh, within the broader TV studies community. So yeah, thank you. Thanks, listeners. <laughs> And then just a few other sponsorship thank yous then. Thank you to the Society for Cinema and Media Studies for sponsoring us, uh, as well as the Acomedia Podcast, the Malcolm S. Forbes Center for Culture and Media Studies at Brown University, the Department of Communication at Denison University, and the College of Arts and Letters at the University of Notre Dame. And I will say, if you are subscribed to this to get Talking TV, stay subscribed. We've got a lot more fun coming from uh, Acomedia. So listen for that. More uh, academics talking about all sorts of things. So I'm Christine Becker with Talking Television at a Time of Crisis. And thanks so much for listening. Please stay healthy and please get vaccinated if you haven't already done so. 